All right, let's get into the word this morning. Stand with me real quick one more time. Here we go. All right. Title of this message is the series is called Economos. We'll explain that in a moment. Here we, here we go on 1 Corinthians 4, 1 and 2, two verses. Read out loud with me very heartily. Here we go. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Second verse and we're finished. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found trustworthy. Bow your hearts with me, please. Gracious God, thank you for the privilege of, of being called your son, your daughter. Lord, as we stand as the family of God this morning, it's not on our own merit. It's, it's on the amazing gift that you've given to us because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ, your uniquely begotten son. Jesus, thank you that you poured out that precious blood for us. We stand today and celebrate the unity that we experience or just the recommitment to the covenant, the, the determination to walk in forgiveness as brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. That's not just here in victory, but that's among our other brothers and sisters of different flavors in the community. Lord, we ask you today that you open our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit that the gospel would be planted like seed deeply in the soil of the souls. Lord, that we would be impacted, that we would be transformed and changed. I just acknowledge before you that I am nothing apart from you and I desperately need you. Spirit of God, do what only you can do in this place. Move, resurrect dead men and make them alive through the gospel. Lord, transform every one of us from grace to grace, from faith to faith, from glory to glory. We'll be careful to give you the praise, and it is in the wonderful name of Jesus which we pray. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning in the presence of the Lord. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. Everybody say stewards. stewards. Now, this is not an airplane flight, and I'm not a steward. I'm certainly not a stewardess. Okay, but you get the idea of a steward. A steward is a servant. A steward is someone who has been given the specific task of being able to carry out service uh, for a specific enterprise. The Greek word from which we begin this morning comes from, we'll, we'll, we'll go back to our first one, it looks like oikonomos. This is the English transliteration. And we have superimposed a dollar sign at the end because people normally think of the concept of stewardship being how you deal with your money. And let me just set everybody at ease this morning. If you're a first time guest, you didn't make a mistake by choosing to come to victory because, oh my gosh, they're gonna preach the next three weeks on money. No, not quite totally true. I'm going to preach one of the three weeks on money, and it's not today. So if you're guessing you want to skip next week, that's totally up to you between you and the Lord. <laughs> we just want to say to you that um, we're approaching this from a whole life perspective. Stewardship is not just about how much money you give to the church. And unfortunately, that's the way a lot of preachers or pastors, and especially those scallywags on Christian television, uh, are presenting it. If you'll write your check and write it big enough, then we we're sure that God will give you X number of times whatever you've sent in. And forgive my facetiousness, uh, it sickens me, it makes me want to gag. Sometimes the way I see the lottery mentality or the slot machine Jesus that some of these guys preach, 
uh, and they, they pervert the, the concept of the law of sowing and reaping and make it into something that ends up making their Bentley payment for them, and I'll leave that alone. Um, we, we need, we get, get, let me get gospel-focused and centered here this morning. You hear what I'm saying. Uh, stewardship is a critical issue. It's something that not only involves my money, but it involves my time. It involves how I take what God has given to me and how I multiply it into something else for His sake, and that will actually benefit me as well. This is not pronounced oikonomos the way it looks. It's technically economos, and if you'll see that, you can really hear an English word in that, economos, okay? Let's go ahead and let's look at the breakdown in these two words as you see it this morning. We're going to do a, a little bit of Greek today, and this is the little Greek right here. Uh, you'll see the characters directly to the right where it says a little Greek, and that's the word economos, okay? It comes from the second line, ekos and namos, and then you bring that down into the English, it transliterates where it looks like oikos and namos. Now, if you've seen the commercials on TV, and I have some for you, and somebody actually suggested that we put a yogurt and a spoon in everybody's seat today to teach the lesson, and I wish I looked like John Stamos, but anyway, um, they, they, it, 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 it amazes me that they launch a whole, not just national, but an international line of yogurt they give it a, a Greek word and then teach people to pronounce it. And now, forgive me, I'm a little bit of a nerd, okay? Let me put on my nerd-looking glasses. Uh, it's not oikos at all. As a matter of fact, that's meaningless in the Greek language. It's ekos. Everybody say ekos. So you, you can see with this idea, literally what they're teaching you here is management of your health. This is not just a diet food to lose weight. But this has necessary, essential macronutrients in it. You, you've got your big three, your protein and your good fats and your carbohydrates. So it is a management tool. It is a stewardship tool. The, the literal word ecos, and we see ecos in ecology, we see it in economics, we see it in words that carry with it this idea uh, of the management of something that is important, an environment maybe. Okay, ecology. Uh, the, the, the word ecos literally means house or the family that lives in it. It, 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 can, it can refer to uh, the, the, the address at which you live, whether it is an apartment or a condominium or a single family dwelling, whether it's you know, sticks and bricks and mortar or whatever it's made out of. It's, it's where you live. Now, uh, it, it's not just the house but it's the home that the people have while they're there. So it has a broader meaning of the actual structure, but it also means the home in which people have created. Because I want you to know those, those two terms are not synonymous. They're people who have great houses, but it's not a home at all. I mean, it can be 8,000 square feet of hell. Is that too plain for my guests? I'm sorry. I mean, it, it, can be, it can be outfitted, it can be electronically where you can turn off, turn on anything you want to from your iPad or from your iPhone or, or your Android or whatever tongue you speak. Any of these different kinds of ways that you have everything that is jacked up and is the best top-of-the-line appliances and the best finishes and expensive imported from here and there and top-of-the-line furniture and all that kind of stuff, and you can have a great house but it not be a home because the home is the product of a, 
environment in which the people live and it's the attitude of the parents and it's the love of the children and it's the grace that's in that atmosphere and the forgiveness that everybody who recognizes they're human has to extend to the other members of the house because you're living all under the same roof. And that is an exercise in grace in itself. You don't believe it, ask me, because we had both of our children back home this summer. We were empty nesters. Hallelujah. Now, we expect Abby to come home in the summer. She's back at Belmont in her second year in college and school. But Drew, I mean, he's been off the payroll. He's had a good job. He's making good money. And, oh, well, Dad, I'm going to have to move to Birmingham. And then he gets here, and Birmingham changes to Dallas, and it extends two more months under my roof eating my food. And a lot of it. How many of you know there had to be some economos? We had to have some management of the household. We had to have a couple of kind of, uh, we won't call them come to Jesus meetings, but he was come to daddy. Let me tell you what we're going to do here. Both kids. Now, I love you children, but guess what? Mom and I kept a really clean house while y'all were gone. And let me tell you what we expect. We're not charging anybody any rent, but let me tell you what you are going to do without a fuss. What am I doing? I'm managing my house. I'm economos. I'm acting like a steward. I'm being a parent. Which, by the way, we've had to make an adjustment in because they're adults now. And that means that we actually change our tone of voice a little bit. A little bit. If you know, how many of you know what I'm talking about? It's not so much I'm talking to a seven year old anymore, although sometimes I wonder. But anyway, I'll leave that alone. Uh, are you getting anything out of this? Ecos namos. Flip the, the screen, if you would. Let me look at the next one. Here we go. Here's our English connection. If you'll see ecos in the place of the little oikos thing up there, eco, namos, nami, the, the, the namos is the word for law. Deuteronomy. Deutero is twice, namas is law. Deuteronomy is the second time God gave the law because the children of Israel had, that had been born in the wilderness after their parents had been delivered from Egypt had never been discipled in the tool that was going to help them possess their promised land. It was the tool of dominion. It was the law of God. So God gave it first to the original Exodus people in Exodus chapter 20. But 38 and a half years later, God prepares through Moses again another generation and He gives it again in Deuteronomy 5. Deutero 2, Namas law, the second time God gave the law. Okay? That's why you see it, the big 10 appear again. Okay? You might see the word autonomous, self-government, literally self-law. Okay? So when we talk about a church being autonomous, doesn't mean we've become a law unto ourselves. That would be the rebellious definition of it. That was what Adam did in high treason in the garden. He was autonomous in every kind of way. When we use the term, we, need, we mean it in the more specific idea of the local church being self-governing instead of somebody, some other where, some other place making decisions. We do here in-house. We're autonomous because we're governed by God's law, and that would be the word theonomy, okay? All right, enough of the wordplay. My, my daughter tells me, Dad, you're like the old geezer in my big fat Greek wedding who connects all the words to a Greek word. If you've never seen the, the movie, it's a cute movie. 
although I have never sat around with my elbow in a bowl of Windex. So if you've seen the movie, you know what I'm talking about. But he's always connecting everything to Greek words. But this morning, as we look at this, this concept of economy, oikonomos, if you go back to the original word where we started our graphic, it has the dollar sign at the end. And uh, we superimposed that. My Greek professor would lose his mind at the whole concept because we're playing with the language here, but we're doing it on purpose because I want you to see that this is a monetary thing. It is a management of your funds, your dollars, but it's also a whole life concept. That's only one tiny part of it. There's a whole segment, several letters that make up the other words, which I believe represent all the other parts of our lives. So as we jump into that this morning, there are a few things that I want to give you. Number one, I have four principles. We're going to call this four pillars of biblical stewardship. So the idea of a steward literally is someone who works for an owner. He, he or she, typically he most of the time in the, uh, the Middle Eastern houses would be males who were slaves. Okay, so somebody else owns them. In other words, they don't even, their, their own being, their own person is not privately owned. It's owned by somebody else. They're a slave. They lay down their lives for the purpose of someone else. And if we're really truthful this morning, that, that, that defines who we are as Christians. We don't belong to ourselves. We are slaves of Jesus Christ. We used to be slaves of sin, but He bought us with a price. That's His precious blood. Now we belong to Him. Come on, somebody, do you hear that? Number one, everything belongs to God. Say that with me. Everything belongs to God. Say ownership. Okay, so we want to be very clear that everything on the planet is God's. All the silver, all the gold, all the oil under the sand in Saudi Arabia, the diamonds in the mines, go to Murfreesboro. Now, you may have something in your possession for a season. You may actually have your house paid for and own the title deed to it. But if we're really technical about all of this, it is not ours. It belongs to God. You want a question? Okay, great. I'm going to give you biblical reasons. Look at Psalm 24 with me. I have listed one verse. I'm going to give you about five or six more on top of it. Psalm 24 says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, and the world and all those who dwell in it. One more time, look at your neighbor and say, everything belongs to God. Now, I've taught you here at, at Victory that every important thing the Bible says, it's not going to just say it just one time. It'll say it repeatedly over and over. Deuteronomy, 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul says, out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. So we have an Old Testament, we have a New Testament. Here we go. This is what the Bible says, Exodus 19.5, all the earth is mine. Deuteronomy 10, 14, Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the highest heavens, the earth and all that is in it. Job 41, 11, Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. I've already read Psalm 24. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, Hear this. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? 1 Corinthians 7, 23, you were bought with a price. Same thing. 1 Timothy 6, 7, we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. Bad old preacher joke, but you've heard it over and over, and it's a great illustration that never, I think, wears out to remind us of our mortality and the stuff we have. You have never and nor will you ever see someone in a hearse 
headed to the graveyard, about to celebrate their last moments with their family before they're interred, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. You've never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul trailer with all their stuff because they were going to take it with them to wherever they were going. It stops here. Naked, we come into the world. None of that goes with us. Listen today as I talk about the concept of whole life stewardship. One of my favorite authors, C.S. Lewis, 40s, 50s, 60s, matter of fact, died the same day that John F. Kennedy was shot in 63. Every faculty you have, your power of thinking or of moving your limbs from moment to moment is given you by God. If you devoted every moment of your whole life exclusively to his service, you could not give him anything that was not in any sense his own already. Do you believe what I just said? It's a great quote from the book he wrote called Mere Christianity. It's just acknowledging the fact that if, if I dedicate every moment, every breath I take, every word that I speak, every cent that I make and that I spend, and I do it every bit to and for the glory of God, I'm not doing anything for Him, to Him, through Him that doesn't really actually already belong to Him already. It's all His anyhow. Say amen. <coughs> Everything you have, all your stuff, <coughs> guys, your four-wheelers, your boats, your car, your motorcycle, even your favorite set of golf clubs, they're on loan to you. Your house, your 401k, your savings accounts, your, your coin collection, the stuff that you're interested in, the, the stuff that nobody else knows about that you keep hidden. Your family, your grandparents, your parents, your spouse, your in-laws, your children, your siblings, all of these are on loan to us and we don't know when any of them may take their last breath. Our livelihoods, our jobs, our careers, our investments, our skills, our education, our talent, all of these things that we have, what God has given to us, He gives us a gift. What we do with it is our gift back to Him. We are to take it and invest it. We are to not just sit on it and dig a hole and bury it in the ground, whether it is finance or whether it's a skill or a talent or our time for the sake of the kingdom of God. Our health is a gift to us. We have no concept of when we, anyone in this room, will breathe our last breath. And the fact that you're sitting here today in your right mind and you have breath in your lungs and you're doing this is the fact that God's grace is resting on your life right now and you're doing that by His permission. You are alive because He's letting you live. It is a gift from God. What I choose to do with it, if anything would, 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 would make me so intensely aware of the importance of what I do, it's the breath that He gives me. Are they words that I form with my mouth? Are they things that I communicate to people that destroy and tear them down? Or are they words that build them up and make investments in them and change their lives for the sake of the kingdom of God? I must be responsible. I have to make a choice because choices have consequences and I must take action. I can't sit idly because inaction actually is a choice. It's an action not to do action. When I acknowledge that He actually owns everything, then I must live my life in the recognition. Number two, here it comes. Some things have been assigned to my care. Say it out loud with me. Some things have been assigned to my care. The principle is this. Say responsibility. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, it's our text. I'm not going to go back and read it again. 
let men so account of us. Let us be known. Let them give the account. Let, let us be so accountable that people give the account about us that we are faithful stewards who have been found trustworthy because we are stewards. We are, we are economists. Paul said, I'm a steward of the grace of God. I'm a steward of the gospel of God. I'm a steward of the mysteries of God. I'm quoting 1 Corinthians and Colossians and the book of Ephesians where he uses this word over and over. Oikos he used to, uses to describe, or ekos, he uses to describe the household of faith. The house of God, it's used to describe the tabernacle of God, which Moses built. The ekos, it's the economy in which God moves and teaches us the law of the house. Don't think thou shalt nots or do's or don'ts, but think principles as in law. Think the law of, of gravity. It's not a do or a don't. It's just, let me tell you something, and you can't plead ignorance. You can't go out here over the lovely skyscraper of West Memphis, the lovely mid-continent building. <laughs> you can't go to it and you jump off of it in faith in the name of Jesus. And then when you go splat, if you live to tell the story, you can't say, well, I did not know about the law of gravity. How I many of you know you can't plead ignorance? How I many of you know it still works whether you know about it or not? All the laws of the kingdom of God are fully still into effect. The law of sowing and reaping will work whether you're a believer or whether you're a non-believer. Come on, just because you love Jesus doesn't mean your tomatoes will grow better than other people's. Just because you love Jesus doesn't mean you won't have to pull weeds out from around your maters. You can bind them in the name of Jesus all you want to. I'm helping somebody in here this morning. Some things have been assigned to my care. I have responsibility. There's an old farmer who had labored his whole life. His lovely wife of 50 plus years had passed on to return reward. The farmer was a believer. He loved Jesus. They'd never had children. And there basically were no heirs. So he chose to call a real estate agent and he was going to sell the farm because he was getting too old to take care of it. And he had literally built this place in what started out 50 years ago as just an old dirt clod farm. And he built it into a paradise. He was a gardener and he loved to grow things and he'd been successful as a small farmer. The hand of God's grace had been upon him. So he called a real estate agent in and he asked the real estate agent to take the tour with him and the, the guy is just seeing how amazingly beautiful this whole place is and, 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 and what the daily commitment and discipline of 50 years of week in, week out, continuous work and just taking care of what had been entrusted to him. He had done something beautiful with it. He had taken a piece of dirt that had looked God forsaken. He cleared the land. He built the house from the timber off of his own uh, out of his own wood, and he, he, he built something that he was, had, a, had a godly sense of righteous kind of, uh, of, of gracious pride. He, he could be able to say, thank you, Lord, for entrusting this to me. And so he showed the real estate agent. They walked around, and the real estate agent said something, just talking. He said, wow, this is just amazing, the, the beauty of this farm that God created. And the farmer said, do what? He said, yeah, this, is, this place is just gorgeous. It's beautiful what God has done here. He said, listen to me, little young whippersnapper. You ought to have seen it when God had it by himself. <laughs> okay. 
Now, the moral of that story is, is that God gives you all the stuff to work with, but you have to get up off your blessed assurance and... and... Yeah, I said that. And do something with it. You got to quit praying for God to do it and you got to get up and do it. Come on, somebody. This is Arkansas, so I'm going to say get. You got to get you some Puritan work ethic where you work like it all depends on you, but you pray like it all depends on God. Those were the backbone the planting generation of our nation that brought us this idea of building and advancing the kingdom of God in America to be a city on a hill and a light to the world. They laid the foundation for us. We've got to get back to that, recapture that, get that restored into our thinking and a part of our government today. As we do that, it's amazing how when I start to make decisions and start to make movement and take action, God gets in the middle of it and He blesses it and He pours out His grace on it and Moses prayed in Psalm 90, establish the work of our hands, and God will get in what you put your hands to. Come on, if you'll be a Psalm, person, a Psalm 1 person, walking not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standing in the way of sinners, nor sitting in the seat of the scornful, delighting in the law of the Lord, meditating in it day and night, he said, I will make you to be like a tree planted by rivers of water. Your, your leaves won't wither, your fruit will come in due season, and whatever you put your hand to, it will prosper. Look at your neighbor and say, I've got to get me some of that. Look, at, look back at him and say, get you some. <laughs> I don't know about y'all, but I'm having a good time this morning. Grace-based responsibility is just very simply recognizing that I respond to God's ability. That's what responsibility is. It's not me working and striving and hoping that I can please God. Uh, God in order to win my salvation. Salvation is a gift. I live my life beginning with that awareness of grace. And I start to walk out grace. Grace-based responsibility is not this huge law hanging over my head going, you're never good enough. But it's the awareness of God's operational power working on the inside of me. I'm, I'm working from a whole new mindset. I'm, I, I'm not rejected and trying to earn my way in. I'm accepted already. I am in. I'm a king's kid. I'm a son of the king. And he is, I'm his and he is mine. And I belong to him. And it's not about who I am. It's about whose I am. I belong to him. And because I'm his, he's going to make sure that I'm the head and not the tail, above and not beneath. I'm going to go over and not go under. We sing these words here. Beautiful African-American worship leader by the name of William McDowell wrote the words of these songs. This song, he says, Here I am, here I stand. Lord, my life is in your hands. Lord, I'm longing to see your desires revealed in me. And I give myself away. I give myself away so you can use me. I give myself away, I give myself away so you can use me. Second verse, he says, take my heart, take my life as a living sacrifice. All my dreams, all my plans, Lord, I place them in your hands. Of course, again, I give myself away so you can use me. Listen to the bridge. It says, my life is not my own. To you, I belong. I give myself, I give myself to you. 
My life is not my own. To you, I belong. I'm a steward in the kingdom of God. Everything I have, He owns. He's given me responsibility for it. He's loaned it to me. He says, take it and do something with it. Take it and enjoy it for your pleasure, but use it to advance my kingdom, He says. Number three, as I walk in that amazing awareness, I will answer, number three, for the things under my care. I will give an answer. It's called accountability. Everybody say accountability. Matthew 25, not going to take time. It's a great text. We'll dig into this next week when we talk specifically about money, economos. He says in Matthew 25, verse 14, it's called the parable of the talents. Listen to two verses only. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted. There's that concept of stewardship. Entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Now realize we're not talking about talents like the ability to sing, the ability to speak in front of people, the mechanical ability to take broken things and put them back together, which by the way, I was standing behind the door when God passed that part out. I didn't get it. That's why I need some of you. Okay, I can make you some music, I can sing to you, I can preach you a sermon, but man, when it comes time to fixing my broke car, I need prayer in the name of Jesus. And I need a brother with a mechanical gift. And I'll even pay you if you'll do it right. <laughs> to one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one. These are monetary values. A talent is a measurement, so many ounces of gold. It's an economist, it's an it's an economic value. It's, it's uh, I, I'm going to give you $1,000 and I'm going to see what you're going to do with it. How are you going to turn it into two? So he gives one guy $5,000 and one guy $2,000 and one guy $1,000. It's, it's, a, it's a monetary value. Then he went away. Now he comes back, okay? Verse 19, last verse. It says, now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. Everybody say accountability. There comes a time when the books have to be opened. There will be a day of reckoning for every person in this room. If Jesus comes before the end of this service, we will stand together at the great judgment seat of Christ. I will give an account for the things that I have done in the body. Okay? Now, let me just tell you, I'm not standing in front of him in that day of reckoning, giving an account, hoping that I've got enough good stuff to outweigh my bad so that I can get saved because I'm already saved. Salvation is a gift. When you as a believer stand before the judgment seat of Christ, it's not whether or not you're going to make it into heaven. You, you go, baby, you've got your ticket. You are tattooed with the name of God right now. It is yours. The issue about judgment will be whether or not you receive a reward for the stuff you've done after you receive the gift of salvation for your works. Are you clear on that? I want everybody to understand that. Okay. Life has a way once in a while of opening the books for us sometimes before the big one, before the Greek word bema seat, before we stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And sometimes we see these happen in significant, specific portions of our lives. We make a lifetime of bad economic decisions and we live beyond our means. We leverage our assets and we refinance over and over and we absorb more credit cards. And instead of really tightening our belt and getting our financial house in order, we're tempted and we are drawn right back into that same kind of shopaholism that we've done before. And, 
and sometimes it's not always the ladies buying blouses and shoes. You know, we always gripe about how, many, how much stuff our, our, our wives buy, and usually we're the ones who go buy the big ticket items. We drive into the driveway with a ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollar $20,000 boat pulling behind us, or a $2,000 set of golf clubs, or a $1,200 shotgun. And I, man, let me tell you, I'm on your side, okay? So don't go, you ready to shoot me now? I know. But let's just give the women a break once in a while because they go buy a couple of pairs of shoes and they spend a couple hundred dollars. Let, if we really tell the truth, most of the time they buy and buy and buy and buy and buy and buy and then we go, buy! <laughs> well, honey, why did you trade cars? Well, you know, really, I just, this one has better gas mileage. <laughs> and we come up with reasons to justify it. If we really tell the truth, it's just because we wanted to. Okay, that's not part of the message, so let me move on. Let me, let, me, let me get out of this. I'm digging a hole and the water's getting deep and it's getting hot. An economic crisis hits somebody who's lived like that. And then there's a downsizing in your company and you lose your job. And then you blame the economy and that idiot in the White House. Now quit thinking the current one because it has nothing to do whether it's a Republican or a Democrat because there have been recessions and depressions under both varieties. Are you following me? Why is it that we do all these daily decisions that put us in the shape we're in, and then when a storm comes, let me tell you something, the storm is not what your problem is. It only reveals the integrity of your house. Have you been building a good house? Have you been building a solid financial house? Come on, if you've ever done Purple Book with me, and if you never have, you need to get involved in it because after 12 weeks, you'll have really solid foundation in your, in your heart from the Word of God, and you will have this concept hammered into your spirit. That is Matthew 6, Matthew 6 yes, Luke 7. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, Matthew 7, Luke 6. I turned it around. Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things that I say? There are two men that come to him, and they're both builders. They're both building houses. They're both building their lives. Both of them have the ability to hear because both of them hear what Jesus said. But Jesus says the difference between the two is the wise man who builds his house on the rock is like a man who hears what I say and he puts it into practice. He takes action. Look at your neighbor and say, take action. So we hear the word and we apply it. A foolish man is the guy who goes out here and he hears the word but he goes on his own way and does whatever, does whatever he wants to. And so he's like a guy who's building his house out here, got a great looking awesome I mean, it's 8,000 square feet, it's got a pool, it's got a deck and a patio, and it's got a four-car garage, and he's got a boat and two sea-doos and two top-of-the-line vehicles sitting in that house, and it looks great, it's beautiful, amazing curb appeal, and he's got an electronic gate at the front that keeps all the unwanted neighbors out, and he's building this amazing-looking house, and it looks awesome, but it doesn't have any architectural integrity because when the first storm comes along, it's going to blow it away. He builds his house on the sand. Sand is particles of rock. It's when we as Christians take favorite places of truth in the word and we don't take the rock as a whole who is Jesus and we take the hard sayings and the uncomfortable things that he demands of us. We just only take our favorite portions and we build on sand, little pieces, fragments of rock. And guess what happens? The rains came down and the floods came up. Help me preach it. Say it. The rains came down and the floods came up. You know what happened to the foolish man's house? It went splat. Now, folks, there are too many people too many times that are praying against the storm when they ought to have been spending their time building a solid house.
I mean, we get in the middle of a storm and we're out here binding weather patterns. We're running around trying to make sure that all the storm shutters are closed and we never did really take time to get them upright on the hinges. And guess what? We're out here and we've got our powered tools and we're, we're trying to batten down the hatches and we've got our plywood and it's blowing 90 miles an hour and it's going to be 125 before the next two hours is over. And we're trying to make sure that we get prepared so the storm that's coming right now, guess what? When the storm's hitting is not the time to prepare for the storm. When the economic storm hits in your life, the hospital closes in our region. We've got families in this church that are affected by that. We will come alongside you and make sure you have food on your table and your lights stay on. Now, there are people in this room who've saved and they're going to weather the storm. And there are folks who've made decisions not to prepare. And it's going to be difficult. Now, how many of you know that this is when the body of Christ really shows what we're truly made of? We come along as the family of God, and the winds are blowing, and the marriage is falling apart. And guess what? I'm going to bring me and another elder, another shepherd in the house, and we're going to come into your house, and we're going to bring our power tools, and we're going to take four or five of us, a dozen men if we have to, and we're going to press against the wind, and we're going to put that up on that window. And we're going to pray in the name of Jesus that reconciliation for a bad marriage on the rocks gets fixed and we're going to batten down the hatches and we're going to bring the peace of God into a chaotic environment, into a family that's falling apart. But how many of you know that could have been avoided? I'm preaching so good this morning. Are you hearing what I'm saying? The storm only reveals the integrity of what you've built your life out of. When the storm hits, when the depression comes, when she files the papers and puts them in your face, and you wake up and realize you've spent your whole life at the office living for somebody else and not pouring into a woman that you said that you would love and honor and cherish. God, help us this morning. I have nobody in mind. Honestly, the Holy Spirit knows my heart. I have no idea who that's hitting in this room today. I don't know what your circumstances are, but I want to tell you the storm that you're in right now, Jesus Christ will ride it out with you. And we as this, as your brothers and sisters, will get in the boat and we'll ride it out with you. But you know what? Along the way, we're going to say, guess what? This is not a government entitlement program that works for the next three generations. We're going to say, hey, we're going to help you, but we're also going to help you figure out how to not let this happen again next time the storm hits. I told you I was going to talk like a daddy today. Help us. I'm still preaching the, the gospel, the gospel that will change your life. It doesn't just take you to heaven. It will change the way you live right here. I've got to wrap it up. Number four. God has the final say on how I handle my stuff. Everybody say reward. When I stand before him, if I can do what this verse says, Colossians 3, 23, 24, listen. Whatever you do, work heartily. Ask for the Lord and not for men. Oh my gosh, if you hate your boss... Quit cursing him in the business that's providing the food on your table and start working for Jesus. 
Go to your boss, go to your job, get there on time, get a good attitude in your heart, and just start working for the Lord instead of the guy that you don't like. And I promise you that if you'll be part of the solution instead of part of the problem, you've got a promotion headed your way. And you'll start to figure out maybe the boss is not such a bad guy or a bad gal after all. Maybe you might even wake up and act like a Christian ought to and you'll have an opportunity to share how much Jesus loves them and you'll get that old cranky boss saved. Oh my goodness. Well, I'm just the only light at where I work. Well, that's probably the reason that you're there. So it wouldn't be so stinking dark. Quit sucking on a lemon and eating a persimmon and drinking pickle juice and saying, I just love Jesus and act like it and just guess what? You'll turn on some lights. Y'all still love me this morning. Whatever you do, work heartily for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Quit doing whatever you do. Please, if you're on a serve team, don't do it for me. My goodness, honey, if you do it for me, it, it won't last long. Do not do what you do for me. Don't do anything that you could ask around here out of obligation for me. Don't do it for your team leader. Don't do it for Victory Church. Do it for Jesus. That means that we're willing to scoot in once in a while and maybe if, you know, well, you know, I'm, I'm a big boy. I like space. I mean, look here, Matt's on the front. I mean, kind of relate. I'm not going to make, I don't want you to hear this the wrong way. But he might be taking up three seats there on the front. That's just because he's got his arms spread out. You're in one. I'm way bigger than he is. Okay. But I sit down, I need some space. And some of you just like, you know what? When I come in, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to save this one and this one and this one. And I'm just going to kind of spread out. Well, you know what? That's just maybe a little bit selfish because somebody needs to hear about Jesus and we need your seats. You won't go to the FedEx Forum and do that. Oh, oh yeah, by the way, I, prayed, I paid for 21C, but I'm going to take A and B too. Hit the door, Jack, and don't you come back. No, that's what they would tell you. Get on an airplane, you decide you're going to raise the little armrest and just kind of make a hammock out of it. Maybe in the new building we should have a hammock section. <laughs> okay, this is totally out of hand. i got to quit. How many of you hear what I'm saying? We're, we're, here, we're not here for ourselves. And in case you think it's all about my comfort, I'm the one up here sweating. The air conditioner's set for your comfort. It ain't for mine. Because if, if, if it were for my comfort and I weren't sweating, we could hang meat in this room. <laughs> it's, it's to make you comfortable so you can endure the long-winded preacher up here that's trying to finish. Too many people said amen right then. I'm finished for real. You're serving the Lord Christ for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he's done and there is no partiality. God owns everything. I have responsibility. I will be accountable for what I've been made responsible over. And when he opens the books, there will be a reward. Now salvation is the same, but the rewards aren't. And I don't, I'm not going to open up that can of worms about how different it's going to be because I believe we're also going to be so just absolutely slammed by the loveliness of Jesus that we're not even going to care. And those of us who have extra crowns are going to throw them down at His feet anyway. 
It's not, not even in the end about anything we've done. It's all about Him and what He's done. Hear this this morning. As much as Jesus Christ wants to take your life and transform it and restore it and help you, maybe, maybe I stepped on your toes this morning because you're in a really bad economic place. You can get out of that cave by turning around and walking out of it one step at a time in the very same way that you walked into that hole one step at a time. You walk out of it with a new perspective of faith and the grace of God responding. Your responsibility is to respond to God's ability. If you'll start trusting Him and put Him first, He will blow your mind at how He can bring deliverance to you and get you out of, in a miraculously short period of time, what took you years to get into. He can turn a bad marriage around. He can heal a physical condition where health has gone bad. Sometimes out of our own control, sometimes out of decisions that we've made. And then we have to have a wake-up call and go, God, I can't keep living the same way I've been living. You know, that's really what happens when we come to meet Him for the very first time. It's, it's a course change. It's a, it's a whole new heart transplanting. My old one is dead, and He puts a new one in my, heart, in my life that begins to pump fresh faith and joy and peace. I don't work for it. I don't earn it. I don't deserve it. There's no way possible. Everybody in this room is a son or daughter of Adam. We've all been born with a powerful sin nature inside of us. But God has a way to change that. He has a way to raise up the deadness of, and get, make Christ come alive in your heart in a whole new creation where the old is gone, the new has come. And it begins by recognizing where you are, calling it what it is, breaking denial. Some of you will never fix your marriage until you hit a wall and you realize she's fed up with it and it's not going to change. You'll never get out of the financial problems you're in until you, you brush up against bankruptcy. Maybe some of you are already living through that and coming out on the other side. Praise God. Whatever the crisis that you're facing this morning, God's called you to walk in these laws of the house, economos, the laws of the kingdom of God. Learn that He owns it. Learn that you're responsible. Learn that you'll be accountable and there is a reward. You can't even walk in the power of that until you know Him as Savior and Lord. That begins by knowing right now, every one of us, all we like sheep have gone astray. Every one of us has turned to our own way. The Bible says, but the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. It was poured out on him. Everything you ever would deserve in penalty and punishment for sin, Jesus Christ took it. He endured it for your sake and for mine. He poured out his precious blood. Every head bowed, every eye closed.